With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Wow. College football season not too far away. We've got a whole bunch of great Penn State stuff to look forward to talking about here uh, in the coming weeks and months. It should be a fantastic season. But Pat Narduzzi went and did something that he has done quite frequently over the years uh, this past week. So I want to spend some time on Pat Narduzzi's comments and more importantly, really, the whole Penn State versus Pitt dynamic and how it has always fascinated me and intrigued me that it's a topic that on any given day, 365 days a year, it doesn't matter. Something can pop up at any given point and it'll fire up fans on both sides, the Penn State fans, the Pitt fans. And so I wanted to spend a few minutes on the podcast this week mentioning this because it's pretty comical. Uh, Pat Narduzzi likes to do and say a lot of crazy things. And look, if you're a Pitt fan listening to this, I'm not ripping Narduzzi for this. I'm just simply saying he's a wacky, bizarre guy who likes to say a lot of crazy stuff. If you think that's me ripping him, then you're not admitting and owning up to the fact that Pat Narduzzi does, in fact, unequivocally like to do and say a lot of crazy stuff, period. There's there's plenty of examples out there. This is not me criticizing him in as much as me pointing out some basic facts. So what Pat Narduzzi say this week? Well, at ACC Media Day, he says, quote, this is about the quarterback situation for the Panthers and Christian Veyu, Christian Veyor, Christian Veyu, Veyleux, however he wants to pronounce his name this week. A couple years ago, it was Veyu at Penn State. Last year, it was Veyor. Then I think it's back to Veyu. Anyway, he transferred from Penn State to Pitt. Here is what Pat Narduzzi had to say about the Pitt quarterback situation uh, behind Phil Jerkovich, who transferred from Boston College. He'll be Pitt starter. He says, we've got a lot of faith in Nate Yarnell and Christian Veyu. Christian is a guy that, well, things are brand new for him. He's coming from a one-word offense to a real offense, but it's a totally different offense. This offense is NFL style with sophisticated terminology. We're going to see a different version of Christian. Nate has had a little taste of the offense, but he's a baby. That's what Pat Narduzzi told Noah Hiles from uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette down at ACC Media Day. Here's the key. Pat Narduzzi taking a shot at Penn State by saying Veyu is, quote, coming from a one-word offense to a real offense. I'll give you some stats. Then we're going to get into the kind of the bigger discussion. I don't want to turn this into a pissing war about whose offense is better or so on and so forth. To me, the discussion, the better discussion is 
why Pat Narduzzi would even mention this, okay? Why fans and media jump on this stuff immediately anytime there's a Penn State versus Pitt, you know, barb thrown one way or another. And it goes both ways. Look, Penn State side will dish out some things. Uh, I don't think I'm being a Penn State homer reporter by saying I think there's more shade thrown at Penn State from the pit side. But, you know, hey, maybe it's 51-49, 55 45, whatever. Regardless, why on earth Pat Narduzzi would decide at ACMC Media Day to just take a shot at Penn State's offense out of nowhere? <laughs> I mean, what? What are you what are you doing, man? Why? Okay. Because it just makes you look dumb when anybody can go point out these basic stats. He's talking about Penn State's one-word offense, meaning the RPO offense, and he's coming to a real offense. Last year, Penn State averaged 433.6 yards per game. Pitt averaged 405.8 yards per game. Playing in a weaker conference, Penn State had 20, roughly 25, 20, I'm sorry, 28 more yards per game playing in a more difficult conference, the Big Ten, than the ACC. Pitt's passing offense averaged 222.8 yards per game. Penn State, 252.5. 30 yards passing per game more for Penn State's passing offense than Pitt. Penn State's passing offense had 29 TDs. Pitt had 13. You see where I'm going with this. Penn State's rushing offense, 181 yards per game. Pitt, 183. Basically the same. Penn State had 28 TDs. Pitt had 30. Pitt gets a slight edge there. Scoring offense, Penn State averaged 35.8 points per game in a tougher league against better competition than Pitt, which averaged 31.3 points per game, four and a half points less than Penn State. So I go back to my question, why on earth would Pat Narduzzi feel the need to say something like, quote, he's coming from a one word offense to a real offense? Okay, I'm not going to turn this into a blast Pat Narduzzi thing. Pitt Pitt fans will get all pissed. Penn State fans will laugh. It'll create. I don't I don't care. I mean, this is just one example And it's easy to poke fun at Pat Narduzzi with stats here. And I'll just leave it at that. To me, the better discussion is just why it it goes this way. Because there's, you know, this has been reported for the last couple of days and Penn Penn State fans are taking shots at each other on social media and everything, as you would expect. It's always fascinated me that that happens. Uh, I have hosted a daily radio show in central Pennsylvania for 13 years. And by the way, I'm recording this on uh, Friday night, July 28th, one month from today. My show will return to the airwaves in Central PA Sports Central with Corey Geiger. I'm excited to announce that news on August 28th. Um, I'll be back on the air from 4 to 5 p.m. every day in Altoona in Central Pennsylvania. All right. But I've hosted radio show in uh, Altoona and Central PA for 13 years. Almost any given day. It could be May 1st. It could be June 9th. It could be July 13th. It could be August 15th. It could be November 12th. If I bring up a Pitt Penn State topic, I'd get a lot of calls on the radio. Always. It's been that way 
basically since day one here in central Pennsylvania. This is primarily Penn State country, but we have a lot of Pitt fans here as well. I'm guessing in Pittsburgh radio, if they bring up a Pitt Penn State topic on the radio on any given day, they'll get a lot of feedback you know, right away. And that's the part. I really want to kind of hone in on here of just how fascinating it is. If nothing else in the world is going on, nothing else in the world is going on on May 26th. Ah, the pirates suck. There's no reason to talk about them. What can we talk about today? One thing that has always been gold on Sports Talk Radio is a Pitt Penn State topic. I mean, it's just been that way forever. And somebody, I didn't even write a story this week on it. I didn't put it in our Penn State or Pitt feed. Corey Christen didn't put it in the Pitt feed. I wanted to wait to do the, the podcast on it. A lot of other websites did write that Narduzzi was taking a, a, a shot at Penn State there. But again, to me, it's just, it's just much more fascinating, the psychology of it all. If you're listening to this, you're probably a Penn State fan, but maybe since some Pitt fans know what I'm talking about, we got some Pitt fans listening here as well. And hey, look, Pat Narduzzi has done a lot of good things at Pitt. I'm not going to sit here and rip on Pitt. I'm not going to sit here and rip on Pat Narduzzi, except for the fact that he does and says a lot of dumb things. And again, if you think that's me taking a shot at Pat Narduzzi, own up to the truth and the reality that Pat Narduzzi has, in fact, done and said a lot of dumb things during his tenure. Hey, James Franklin has done and said a lot of dumb things during his tenure. Not so much the last four or five, six years. Maybe early on, he would say some things, you know, that dominate the state and he'll go to everybody's birthday party. But James Franklin learned pretty quickly to really keep things close to the vest and, and, and down the middle. He doesn't he doesn't branch out and say a whole lot of controversial things anymore. Uh, and, and yes, I'm sure somebody can go find a, an example to prove me wrong there. But the bottom line is when Penn State starts chirping at Pitt or Pitt starts chirping at Penn State, <laughs> man, we always get this back and forth between the fan bases. Uh, it's always been comical to me. It's been hilarious to me. Um, I've tried to see both ways. I've look, folks. If you know me or know my coverage for close to 20 years of Penn State football, there are a lot of Penn State fans that think I hate Penn State. Uh, Geiger, you hate Penn State, blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of Pitt fans who think uh, you're just a Penn State homer reporter, Geiger. You're just a homer reporter for Penn State. So it's always been comical to me that I can piss off both Penn State and Pitt fans, which lets me know that basically I'm doing my job and trying to tell the truth on both aspects. And the truth is... Penn State has some advantages over Pitt, especially financially. Pitt may have some advantages over Penn State in terms of especially, um, you know, they they can win a, a big game, a key game here or there against Penn State. It's not like Penn State will just destroy Pitt all the time. Penn, Penn State fans like to mention 51 to 6 a few years ago, while Pitt fans like to mention the 2016 victory over Penn State that basically kept the Nittany Lions out of the college football playoff. There's plenty to go back and forth. There's plenty to go back and forth uh, in the, I, I would say rivalry. It is still a rivalry, but that rivalry doesn't in terms of playing on the field, doesn't mean as much as it used to, you know, back in the seventies or eighties when the game each year was a, a tremendous, tremendous matchup with significant importance. That, that has not been the case really for a long time. And they didn't even play for a long time till the 16 to 19 series renewal. But again, it's just fa- always been fascinating to me. Anytime something like this comes up, 
The Penn State fans come out. The Pitt fans come out. Everybody wants to get defensive. Everybody wants to be offended. Everybody wants to have fun and start poking fun at the other. And uh, I love it. Hey, uh, it gave me another podcast segment here this week uh, in late July when we're a month and a half away from the start of the season coming up again. Pat Narduzzi out of nowhere just decides to take a shot at Penn State. Hey, thanks, Pat. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the free podcast fodder. Welcome back. I want to stick with uh, some coaching here in the second segment. Talk about James Franklin and his track record in big games at Penn State. One and eight against Ohio State. Three and six against Michigan. Three and 15 against Michigan State. James Franklin is two and 15 against top 10 opponents at Penn State and 11 and 19 against top 25 teams. Okay, why am I bringing this up? On the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, I did a segment uh, called the James Franklin Appreciation Discussion. So to recap that, the guy's done a hell of a lot of good things at Penn State. We can be critical of James Franklin for certain things, but by and large, if you take a look at the big picture, he won a Big Ten championship in 2016, five years ahead of, time, of, sch- of schedule from what anybody would have thought. They finished in the top 12, five of the past seven seasons. And so if there had been a college football playoff of 12 teams since 2016, Penn State would have been in it five times. That's pretty darn good. Uh, he's won a Rose Bowl, coming off an 11-2 year last year. He's won a Cotton Bowl. He's won a Fiesta Bowl. You can make a case James Franklin has done really some outstanding, outstanding things at Penn State. And I did in a podcast a few weeks ago. All right. So earlier this week, uh, after Big Ten Media Day, uh, he's after speaking on Wednesday in Indianapolis, uh, I wrote a story. Uh, the headline here is James Franklin knows he's sitting on something potentially special. He talked during Media Day Wednesday about uh, he really likes his defensive line. He likes a lot of the units on the team. He's got a lot of depth and so on and so forth. You could tell listening to James Franklin, he knows he's got a good team. And Penn State knows it's it's going to be a good team. All the fans and media know it's going to be a good team. They're going to be ranked anywhere from fifth to seventh in the country uh, in the preseason polls. And there's a lot of hope over the next couple of years about contending for, maybe even winning a national championship. So after writing that, I received the inevitable feedback that always comes. And quite frankly, this is from Penn State fans and non-Penn State fans. The feedback is, well, with all the strengths that the program has going for it, James Franklin is still considered by many people to be a weakness in terms of being the head coach and trying to win big games and achieving goals and reaching all of the highest goals. The highest. I'm not talking about going 10 and 2 or 11 and 2, winning a Rose Bowl. I'm talking about the highest goals, getting to a playoff, you know, winning a national championship. That's the feedback that you typically get. Uh, and it comes from non-Penn State fans, but absolutely, some Penn State fans are still very skeptical of whether or not James Franklin can get over the biggest hurdles uh, in the biggest games. Again, I'll go back. 
one and eight against Ohio State, three and five, uh, three and six against Michigan, three and five against Michigan State, two and fifteen against top ten, top ten opponents during uh, uh, his his time. All right, so look, um, there's something to be said for both of the both of these aspects. That yes, James Franklin has done some tremendous work in his career at Penn State, and he's also lost a lot of big games and been beaten kind of badly in some of those big games, especially by Michigan. But, you know, could this be the year or the next couple of years where James Franklin starts to quiet and silence those critics? That, that's the question. That's really, to be honest with you, that's the next question for the program is, okay, Penn State's got the talent. No, no one would deny that Penn State's got the talent looking at the roster over the next couple of years to be in position for a college football playoff berth, to do some damage in the playoff, maybe go pretty far and contend for a national title. Okay, can James Franklin be the guy on game day that's going to make all the right decisions, push all the right buttons, be able to beat with, you know, even not so much consistently, but just in in, in a one-off big game, beat an Ohio State, beat an Alabama, beat a Clemson, beat a Georgia, you know, beat an LSU. Uh, which is what it's going to take to get, you know, if they get into a playoff to advance in a playoff, even certainly in a 14 playoff and and even in a 12 team playoff, you're going to have to beat somebody really good, some elite program or major, major program in order to advance. And that's, uh, you know, I I wanted to follow up the first segment where I talked about Narduzzi's comments uh, at Pitt, because look, that is still very much the question on a lot of people's minds about Penn State. And is it fair? Well, yeah, it's fair. I mean, even with all the things he's done, when when you show up and you watch a, a Penn State team in a really, really big game, you'll still invariably see two, three, four, five uh, really kind of questionable things happening, uh, a decision in a game, a personnel move, um, uh, you know, a, a, a fake punt or, or, or going forward here, there, not going forward. There's all, look, we can second guess any coach. We can armchair quarterback any coach. And quite frankly, James Franklin gets, gets armchair quarterback a lot and deserves to be armchair quarterback a lot because on the one hand, all the accolades that he's done well. And again, I just did a podcast on this last week. I will stand by everything I said in it about there is plenty, plenty to appreciate with what James Franklin has done at Penn State. But now the next step is going to be the hardest step. When you're right on the cusp of trying to become elite and right on the cusp of trying to live up to the ultimate goals that you've worked so hard for, now every single thing James Franklin does, not that it already has not been magnified for for nine years, but every single thing he does in every big game will be magnified so incredibly largely. I, I, I have to point this out once again, and I even mentioned it in the appreciation podcast a couple weeks ago. You sure Penn State went 11 and two last year, lost to Michigan, lost to Ohio State, didn't beat a ranked opponent all season during the regular season. Not one. So sure, Penn State went 10 and 2 and went to the Rose Bowl. There was not a, a there, there was not a, a single significant marquee victory on that schedule 
until the Rose Bowl. Now, the Rose Bowl was, in fact, a marquee victory, but Utah lost four games. You know, so we can make the case, yeah, they went to the Rose Bowl and they they pounded Utah and looked really good. That was for Utah's fourth loss of the season. Okay. And yeah, Utah was a highly ranked team. I think they were number nine with three losses because they'd beaten USC a couple times. But quite frankly, you know, how, how much can we trust the Pac-12? How, how good was Utah? I, I mean, yeah, it was a big game, but... You know, Penn State looked vastly superior to Utah in pretty much every way in that game. And then the quarterback got hurt and the game got out of hand. But, uh, you know, again, that was Utah's fourth loss. So this year, when we judged Penn State and James Franklin in 2023 and certainly in 2024, these next couple of years, it's not going to be about going 10 and 2. It's going to be out about what you do against Ohio State and Michigan this year. And next year, if you get into a playoff, if you go 10 and 2 and get into a playoff, are you going to be able to win a couple of games? You can't get into a playoff as a 9, 10, 11, 12 seed and lose in the first round and, and say, and pound your chest and say, look what we accomplished. Because this is, this is, you know, the position James Franklin finds himself in. And he's been in this position for a long time now at Penn State because he achieved so much success so early in 2016. And that raised the bar several years, it raised the bar so high several years earlier than anybody expected. And he is to be commended for that. But after 2018, when he promised to be a lead after the loss to Ohio State, and then they had the big slip-ups in 2020, 2021, you know, it, it just lends itself to fans questioning, are you the right guy to take the next step? Is that fair? Hey, I think it is. Uh, is that the reality of a coach at a major program that makes $8.5 million a year? Absolutely. Absolutely. That comes with the territory. James Franklin deserves to be heavily praised for what he has accomplished. He also deserves to be heavily criticized for one and eight against Ohio State, three and six against Michigan with some terrible losses and three and five against Michigan State with some really poor uh, execution and performances in key situations in those games. So if we're out, if, if we're going to be spending the next two years with everybody talking about can Penn State accomplish this? Can Penn State accomplish that? You cannot ask those questions. And, and whether, you know, some really strong Franklin fans would disagree with this or not. I don't think you can ask those questions without asking the question. Is James Franklin going to step up and overcome the biggest hurdle? in his career to get to that next, to that next level for the program. That's, that's just the way it goes. Once you've achieved, achieved a certain level of success, yes, you deserve credit for it. But until you kind of knock down that, you know, jump over that last hurdle, rather, there will be a large percentage of, of doubters out there, not only, you know, anti Penn State fans, but diehard Penn State fans that will be wondering if indeed James Franklin can win those big games. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast this week. I want to jump in briefly on the Big Ten expansion topic once again. This has been an ongoing discussion for years and years and years now, and it was kind of brought up again uh, this past week when the news broke that Colorado 
will be leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big 12. Now, hey, look, if you're a Penn State fan, you don't care about Colorado. Uh, most college football fans probably don't think a whole lot about Colorado, or at least they didn't until Deion Sanders went there to become head coach. But this is a significant move uh, in college football and when it comes to dominoes falling because Colorado was in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is already teetering with USC and UCLA leaving to join the Big Ten. So now Colorado is going to leave as well. And you got to figure everybody in that conference in the Pac-12 is quaking in their boots just wondering what's going to happen to their futures, how they can align themselves with the best uh, in the best possible way to secure their futures, their financial futures, their competitive futures, all of those things. And so inevitably the, the topic of, you know, college football conference expansion comes up yet again. Might the Big Ten be looking to add any of these Pac-12 conference, uh, uh, the stronger programs from there. I wrote a, a little bit about this in the Penn State feed because t- the two most obvious ones would be Oregon and Washington. Both would be, to me, look, good additions to the Big Ten. Oregon uh, is a, a major player out there. Uh, an entire state worth of fans follow the Ducks. Washington, the same way. Major player, an entire state worth of fans follow that program. I, I've said for a long time, I think Oregon and Washington would be really cool additions to the Big Ten. But I don't think, I don't think it would be in the conference's best uh, interest to expand at this point with Oregon and Washington or really anybody else. Because quite frankly, the money is already there. The money is already on the table for the Big Ten with its new seven-year, $7 billion TV contract that's to be spread out between 14 teams. If you go add two more teams, I think I did the numbers here, what was it? Uh, a billion dollars a year, just flat billion dollars a year, split between 14 teams is $71.4 million per school. You, you add two more teams. Now you got 16 teams. The number goes to 62.5 million. So while, yeah, I think it'd be cool to add Oregon and Washington and Oregon and Washington would love, 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 love to join the Big Ten. I'm sure at this stage, just to save themselves for the long term, you're, you're probably hurting the rest of the programs in the Big Ten by doing that. If, if you're going to lose nine million dollars a year just by adding these other two teams, What's the benefit uh, that the Big Ten would see? Now, they could work out some deals, I'm sure, where maybe Oregon and Washington get partial shares and more money for the, the current. But we're still, the point is, when, when you have a piece of, when you have a pie, a whole pie, and you got to split it up between, say, four people, you're going to get a pretty darn big piece. You got to split it up between eight people, you're going to get a smaller piece. You got to split it up between 12, 14, 16 people, your piece is going to get smaller. The Big Ten TV deal, they've already got the pie. They've already got the $7 billion pie. So if you're Penn State, if you're Ohio State, if you're Michigan, hell, even if you're, you know, Rutgers on the other end, why Rutgers is even in the Big Ten, or will it be for the long haul? It probably will, but should it be? Probably not. You're going to want as big a piece of the pie as you can possibly get. And adding Oregon, Washington, Utah, Stanford, well, again, those would be some some cool additions. Um, I do think Oregon and Washington are separate in you would add the Oregon TV market. You would add the Washington TV market. Those would be substantial things that the Big Ten would be adding. And look, maybe they could go back and renegotiate the TV contract and get more money because they're adding those two giant markets. I don't know how all that would work. 
since everything is signed. Uh, but you get the point. If, if, if you're looking out for the best interest of your own conference, um, I don't see how giving everybody a gigantic pay cut would help. To me, Notre Dame is the key. If Notre Dame ever decides it wants to join the Big Ten and, and the Big Ten can work out a deal with Notre Dame, then that's the game changer. That's a game changer for all of college athletics, period. And anything and everything could and should be done uh, to have Notre Dame join the Big Ten. And if you want to add somebody else, if you want to add you know, Oregon and Washington at that point, then maybe you could go repackage your TV deal and you, now you've got a hell of a lot more to sell. Uh, although that'd get you to 17 and that's a, that's a, that's a bizarre number. So you'd have to add one more, maybe Utah or Stanford or whatever. I just don't know that, uh, the expansion happens anytime soon and unless the Big Ten gets any level of answer, concrete answer for the long haul for Notre Dame. And I don't think Notre Dame is in position to make an answer that's going to last for 10, 15, 20 years because its financial situation is going to be changing a lot as well. Would I like to see Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten? Yeah, sure. That'd be fun. Those would be some cool matchups. I'd love to go out to Oregon and Washington to cover games. It'd be fantastic. Penn State fans would probably enjoy Oregon coming to Beaver Stadium or Washington. But uh, would that be best for the Big Ten? Would that be best for Penn State if they've got to take a $10 million cut at a time when everybody's talking about how much NIL money they need and all this money for Beaver Stadium? Is it worth, is it, worth it to Penn State to take a $9 million cut to add two more teams? Uh, no, it, it's it's not. All right, folks, appreciate everybody for tuning in. This was a fun podcast, a lot of good stuff uh, discussed today. If you want to drop me a note in the comments here or, or uh, shoot me a, an email or, or text message or anything, let me know what you think. I would always uh, uh, love hearing, hearing from you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we will talk to you again next week. 